Hi, welcome to Totem Talks. I'm Helen Fruin. I'm Mark Smith. And today we're talking about confidence, uh, mainly because we ran our Summer Live event on confidence this week, which I really enjoyed. I enjoy all of them, but this one particularly stood out for me, I think because people were so open about the challenges they faced with their confidence. And I find when people are really open, you tend to get a much better sense of progress in a workshop. So I really enjoyed that. Figured we would share some top tips and ideas from that today. Yeah, and I think also with the confidence point is there is something that you can practice. Mm. It's something that you, you can teach yourself. So if you're sort of listening to this podcast thinking, oh, I don't have it, um, it is something you can develop over time. And I think we came across a, a statement a few weeks ago that many people in a sort of worky kind of space in an office they don't really see developing themselves as practice. So if, if you wanted to be a professional footballer or a professional athlete, you would assume that you can't just turn up on a Saturday, do the job and walk away. There's actually a great deal of training that goes involved. And that training isn't sitting in a classroom watching people play football. That's some of it. A good chunk of that, almost 70%, if I'm just about getting the 70-20-10 rule sure. in place. 70% of that is practice and how can you actually practice confidence or comp whatever it is you want to develop confidence in. Mm. And I think that what do you want to develop confidence in is a really key starting point because so often we talk about confidence like it's this magical thing, you know, I'll just take a confidence pill or some people are just born more confident and, and I don't think we really clarify, well, what do I mean by confidence? Ultimately, let's talk about this as thoughts, feelings, the things we're saying to ourselves in our heads. And we can practice thinking and saying things to ourselves in our heads that are going to make us feel better, make us do a better job. So let's practice doing that. Yeah. And for me, that practice is about jumping in at the deep end and also realizing in the past where you've been already in the deep end and mm. you just haven't applied the learning to your current situation. I think that's part of what came out last night. So for me, I remembered clearly connecting two dots. So many, many moons ago, I used to run a go-kart center. Mm -hmm. And so on a daily basis, I would have to induct about 100 people through the building. I'd have to give them a security briefing. I'd have to shout at them occasionally if they were driving <laughs> dangerously. And some of these groups of people were, were very intimidating. Obviously, you've got lots of families coming and they're all just lovely to work with. But then most of the clients were, were stag dudes and they need managing much more firmly. And it could be quite an intimidating atmosphere, particularly if they'd been drinking and it started to get quite messy in that sense. I would have to brief them. I'd have to make sure that they were uh, behaving, that they were, they were safe. I was ultimately responsible for everybody's safety on site. And I never once thought that that was an intimidating thing to do. I never mm. was. I never went to work feeling, oh, I don't know if I can do this. It, it, I just did it. And I think that was, you know, the, the young person syndrome of just, <laughs> I can do anything I like. Later in life, I've, I've, I now wear a suit to work and I have to engage with stakeholders and I have to stand or sit in a, in a, in a room full of people and I have to present data and arguments and all of these things. And I was starting to get flustered. Mm. I was like, oh, this is really important. Oh, oh dear, what am I going to do about this? And that, that as to your point earlier, that self-speak would start to come. And it was only in a sort of an epiphanic I'm not sure if that's a word. <laughs> an epiphany-based moment. An epiphany-based moment. I had an epiphany and it was, 
hold on a minute, I've done this before and I've done this in a far more intimidating mm. environment, in a far more um, safety conscious environment where the, the risks of, of things going wrong were far higher. And if I've done it before, I can do it again. Mm. And it was that sort of little really dog kind of, I can do this and I have done it, that really kind of launched me from being someone who was going into meetings nervous to someone who was going into meetings confidently. Mm. But that's not to say that I don't still get nervous. I do. There's something so powerful, like you say, of reflecting on past experiences. We, we tend to magnify negative experiences and this is what's really interesting when you look at the neuroscience and it's such a huge link here between emotional intelligence and confidence I would argue that they're really the same thing so confidence is your self-talk being something positive although I also want to clarify that when we're feeling really confident our self-talk is not I'm really good I can do this I'm really competent when we're confident we just get on with it. And our self-talk isn't really self-talk, it's how do I do this? How do I solve this problem? What do I need to do next? So the self-talk moves from being self-critical, self-commenting in any way to how do I do this? What am I doing? So it's really interesting to think about, yes, in your example, the shift to actually I can do this, I've got evidence that I can do this, helps you to move into that zone. But once you're in a confident zone, you don't need that positive mm. self-talk because you're just in the zone. You're just doing what you're great at. And so the link to emotional intelligence here is that we are first recognizing what the self-talk is, what the feeling is, and then regulating that or controlling that to get a more positive outcome. So emotional intelligence and confidence, pretty much the same thing. Confidence is a form of emotional intelligence. Mm. Controversial. Well, I don't know why it sounds controversial in my head, but it does. Well, I guess we, because we don't hear them described as the same thing. But yeah. if you look at the neuroscience describing what happens in the brain when we are becoming more aware of our emotions and then thinking about how to control those emotions, a lot of the examples that people give in those neuroscience studies are the same things you would describe as examples of confidence. So for example, public speaking. It's so funny, if you ask uh, people what they fear most in the world, people will often say public speaking more than death. So wow. <laughs> people are really scared of public speaking. So if you look at brain images of people who are imagining public speaking, you see that the, the self-awareness come through of sheer panic, mm. all of the amygdala stuff. So a reminder, the amygdala is the part of our brain that's the survival instinct, the fight or flight mechanism. The amygdala is firing hard. You know, I've got to do public speaking. I'm sweating. I'm panicking. When you ask people to move into a state of regulating that emotion and thinking to themselves, exactly as you did in your example, hang on a second, I've done this before and I did this well we start to move towards the prefrontal cortex right behind our forehead, the most intelligent part of our brain where we've got language, logic, problem solving, creativity. And when they start using that, they feel calmer, they feel more able to do something. Mm. So that's brain imaging of emotional intelligence in an example that is absolutely what you would describe as a confidence issue. And that's also the trick that you would use if you had no previous examples for you to rely back on so if you can't connect any previous learning to your current situation so you are doing something new mm. for the first time but what Helen's just described is absolutely the way that you would that's one of the first steps really to 
building your confidence in that situation move the move the fear the panic and the dread that's building in you that you can't do this into that sort of prefrontal cortex area so begin to use language describe the issue write it down maybe call a friend uh, that's that's the first step what's the next step after that and I just want to say a bit more on, on your point about that being the first step and particularly what you've said there about putting it into language this is something I found really fascinating in the neuroscience studies is that when people put the way that they're feeling into words something happens uh, it's described as the braking system in the brain as in putting on the brakes right. in your brain so if you're getting into the emotional spiral, which we've all been there, right? Sheer panic. This is going to be a disaster. I'm totally incompetent. I can't do this. Panic, panic, panic. When we start putting that into language, it's almost like we're putting on the brakes in our brain, uh, putting on the brakes on that amygdala, that survival instinct and moving energy to the prefrontal cortex, which, as I mentioned, the prefrontal cortex is where language is coming from. Mm. So the more we lose, the more we use language, the more we turn on that part of the brain. So it makes sense that then it puts the brakes on the amygdala survival part of the brain. So let's use language. And as you say, when you write it down, you know, sometimes the language is all sort of fluffed up in our head or sort of muddled up together. It's some feelings, some language. By writing things down in full sentences, we really start to express, how am I feeling? What is it I'm thinking about this? And as we write it down, we put the brakes on, we can help ourselves calm down a bit. And then your question of well, what comes next is to move from thinking or feeling about the situation to preparing for the situation, because that's, what's get, because that's what gets us into the zone. If you think about when you're in the zone, when you're in flow, when you're doing your best work, you're just in it. You're just, right, what do I want to say next? How do I prepare for this? Oh, I've got a problem here. How do I solve this problem? So once we've identified the emotions, challenge those emotions, maybe by writing them down, thinking about previous experiences. Let's move past all of that thinking about it and now get into the prep. Mm. What outcome do I want here? And what is the best way of me getting that outcome? I think your point about outcomes really quite important there. I think quite often we we forget about what outcome we actually want from mm. a thing and we focus on the detail, we focus on our potential performance during that thing. Yes. And that is almost irrelevant. What we need to make sure is that a certain thing happens, whether that's I need to say a specific thing or I need to make this group of people specifically aware of X. Mm. That is the outcome that you're after. So if you've got a fear of speaking publicly, for example, if you wanted to, you could just roll out on stage, say exactly what you need to say in a short amount of time and then walk off. <laughs> That's not public speaking. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Drop the microphone, walk away. <laughs> Outcome achieved. You know, that's that's the, the cheat's way, if you like. But I think one important balance to the outcome-driven thing is to also weigh up the cost of not doing anything. Mm. And we spoke about this in our networking podcast recently that the fear of, of picking up the phone is got to be outweighed by that actually actually the fear of what happens if you don't pick up the phone okay so for, for us if if we're networking for example and we've got sales targets to meet the the impact of us not picking up the phone is we don't make any money if we don't make any money 
everything goes bad very quickly. <laughs> we run out of champagne really quickly, people. <laughs> disaster. Disaster. <laughs> well, the fridge might be empty. Um, so you pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. I do not want an empty champagne fridge. So <laughs> I'm going to get the distinct impression that we're overcharging our clients now. Um, but yes, so so the, the fear of what, what happens if you don't do what you need to do, that should actually be part and parcel of the outcome focus. Mm. And it really, uh, I, I said in the workshop this week that it kicked me in the chest when, when I asked the delegates on the workshop, what is the cost of doing nothing for you? And one of them said, because for her, it was about raising her profile, gaining visibility in the company, being heard in team meetings. And she said the cost for her of doing nothing is being small, is giving up on her dreams and her goals and staying small. And that kicked me right in the chest as just the most awful. You know, are you accepting that? Are you accepting being small? Are you accepting never succeeding at what you wanted in life? Absolutely not. I do not accept that. I I take the challenge. I take the other option of being brave and stepping out and doing something scary. Mm. So that whole, what is the cost of doing nothing? Really powerful question. Yeah. And I think there is an underlying, I think with all confidence conversations, there is an underlying, almost unspoken value that is, is running through everything. And that is, are you actually doing something that you're going to ever be confident at? It's it's like an ethereal thing. So um, I am never going to be confident working with children because I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I can work with children and I can do it for quite intensely for for a very short period of time. Mm. And I have learned how to do that by throwing myself in at the deep end and volunteering with various different youth groups and things like that and last night on the 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 training course it it occurred to me that quite a few people who were talking about wanting to be more confident i think they would consider themselves to already be in a space where they've chosen that work they're Mm. really interested in that work and for them developing their confidence in this zone was uh, the natural extension to getting better in something that they are already good at. Mm. My question to listeners would be, is are you in a place where you actually want to develop confidence in what you're currently doing? And I'm not asking or suggesting that people should just, you know, go on a massive self-reflection exercise and then quit their job and all of these different (laughs) things. But really consider why you're wanting to develop your confidence in this way, because it's not a short-term thing. This is a long-term project, mm. you know, project self-confidence is, is, yeah. is, it's a big deal. And if you're going to be focusing a lot of your energy and training yourself in this way, make sure you're training it in something that you want to be confident mm. in. Do you want to stand in front of a room full of people and talk to them about spreadsheets when actually you want to talk to them about art mm. or history? And people management is the single most common challenge where that comes up. People have moved, so many people have moved into management positions because it's the only way that you get a promotion. It's the only way that you get that job title or that pay increase. And they get into a people management position and go, I don't like managing people. I don't feel confident managing people. This is a mess. I don't like it. Eek, eek, eek. And to challenge that exactly as you have done to say, 
Are you trying to build your confidence in managing people when managing people is not for you? Mm. I've had so many people over the years say to me, you know, this whole thing about showing an interest in people and asking them how their weekend was and, and all that. I don't really care how your weekend was. And early on in my career, when I was very, you know, much more in the people pleaser space, I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe if you don't care so much about how their weekend was, you could uh, take an interest in something different or blah, blah, blah. Now, 20 years on, I'm like, you know what? If you don't care how your team's weekend was, you should not be a people manager. Yeah, exactly that. It's, it's, it's bonkers, right? So I think, and I think this is where we get, we get tripped up a little bit in business in that we, we assume progression is is you, you do a good job and then you can manage the people who do the same job as you used to do. And like, no, 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 those are, those are two massively different skill sets. Um, and so there's something a little bit broken in mm. terms of the way that we see, the way that we want to recognize progress to a company. And also in terms of our values and attainment sort of uh, criteria. So a lot of people want to climb the corporate ladder if you get to a ceo position you're effectively managing you know potentially thousands of people if you don't like people (laughs) don't do it (laughs) you can do it but then your company's focus is not going to be people place and that might be how does that work that well that might be perfectly acceptable for your shareholders yeah i'm sure you know i think we're all coming to the realization that that is really getting boring it's hurting people it's hurting the planet and you know i'm not going to put my hippie hat on but we we do need to rethink how we're looking after each other and i think covid19 has really exposed that Mm. i'm really grateful for that and what's so powerful from a confidence perspective in this is having confidence with that human connection So it probably won't surprise people to hear that a lot of our work these days is how do we build relationships online? How do we connect with our team when we're managing half the team on site and half the team uh, are still working from home? How do you get the team to connect when half of them have been on furlough, half of them have been at work? I'm running a workshop on that recently. A big theme that kept coming up was oh, I need to stop just talking about the work and focusing on the work and start focusing on the human being in front of me. I need to develop my confidence in being compassionate Mm. and in saying to somebody, how are you doing? And encouraging them to open up about that. And a number of people saying that they tried that kind of how are you doing conversation and we're getting pushback. You know, how I feel doesn't make any difference to my job. Yes, it does. And so how do we encourage those conversations and create that safe space? And that is going to be a huge test of a lot of managers' confidence. Mm. And that is definitely practice. Mm -hmm. Definitely practice. And you have to build a reputation for actually caring. I was going to use a different word then or a different phrase. Um, Yeah, you have to build a reputation for caring. You can't, you know, if you've got a bit of a narcissistic boss and one day he comes in and says, how are you? How are your weekends? You are going to get blown off your chair. <laughs> <laughs> Probably go, you've been on a training course. Yeah. You HR yeah. have told yeah. you to yeah. ask this question. Did you get another complaint? <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, is if he does that repeatedly over time, eventually he'll start to lose the narcissist tag and become someone who's, you know, at least vaguely interested in you. Mm. And that's where the personal relationship gets built. And uh, we have wandered completely away from the topic of confidence obviously, because I'm involved. Um, But yeah, let's bring it back to confidence. Um, What are the key points just to wrap up with? So recognizing that confidence is emotional intelligence means that we start with being self-aware. So when do you feel confident 
and when do you not feel confident? Even somebody who you would describe as a really confident person will have things in their lives where they don't feel confident. Let's recognize what those situations or skills or whatever it is are. So that's yet another podcast where self-awareness creeps in. And this is why you say we're going to be a broke... Well, we're a broken record on two things. One is that self-awareness is fundamental to developing any human soft skill. Maybe we should write a book. <laughs> Build your self-awareness. Tasha Urich has already done such a great job. I would just recommend her book. I thought I spotted a gap in the market. Gap then. in the market. Um, the other thing that we're a broken record on is the whole sort of amygdala prefrontal cortex because it just comes up everywhere. And if you are wanting to move away from emotional, biased, unconscious decision-making and move to logical, fact-based, clear problem-solving, great focused work, we need to learn to put the brakes on that amygdala system. And so again, if we talk about confidence as emotional intelligence, putting the brakes on by using language, writing things down, and then focusing on the outcome you want and going to solve that problem of getting that outcome, that's what will build your confidence. Excellent. Thank you yet again for another great conversation. As always, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify and all exciting places. Um, we are still running a few courses. I think we've got Gravitas next. Yeah, and Managing People. And having just talked I, I about that a bit. Managing People. So, <laughs> um, so please come along. Uh, I think there's a couple of tickets left, which is uh, fair enough. And also we're going to try and get some feedback on those courses because we, we haven't set up September's programme yet. So we could, we could probably get some feedback and see what tweaks we can make. Mm. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy the weather. It is hot, I know. Enjoy the weather and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.